Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. Rami here, back for another conversation with a very inspiring woman, Kate Hayes of Aquine and Green. Kate discusses her incredibly interesting journey and love for health, human interactions, and support. First, let's see what Natalie has prepared for our fun fuel for this episode. I'm Natalie Hazen, and I'm bringing you this episode's fun fuel. Leadership takes all kinds of forms and has many different styles. After all, we are all uniquely made and don't respond the same way to things. Let's take a listen to some top leaders' motivational quotes of all time according to Inc. Magazine, because according to them, sometimes the most powerful and meaningful things come from words that touch our heart and lead us forward to our potential. So author Ernest Hemingway kicks us off with his quote, when people talk, listen completely. Boy, I think I need to work on that one myself. Retired four-star general in the United States Army, Colin Powell said, great leaders are almost always great simplifiers who can cut through argument, debate, and doubt to offer a solution everybody can understand. Well said. But I will wrap up with a motivational leadership quote from Harold R. McElinden. He said, do not follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Let's tune in with Rami as she interviews this episode's latest trailblazer. Thanks, Natalie. So many great leaders have gone before us in history. Now let's turn our attention to a current leader in the impact investing and social enterprise development space, Kate Hayes of Echoing Green and her program, Direct Impact. Let's talk about Echoing Green. It's It had a unique start. Yes. So Echoing Green was founded 30 years ago by a group of individuals working in the private sector who wanted to see what would happen if you took the principles of the private sector and applied them to the social sector. And so they started investing deeply in early stage social entrepreneurs. And that has really been at the heart of everything that Echoing Green has been about for the past few decades. So the core of our work is our fellowship program, where we search the globe to find amazing early stage social entrepreneurs who have incredible ideas that have the potential to really change the world and solve big social environmental problems. And we provide them with funding, with support from our staff, from our ecosystem and our community, as well as a community amongst one another, uh, where they are each other's best resources as they work to take their organizations to the next step and begin to really grow and scale the solutions that they've identified. And over the past 10 or 15 years, one of the things that we've become more intentional about is building out our ecosystem of support. So we know that social entrepreneurs are incredibly important. They're close to the work. They're really dedicating their lives to solving really big problems that exist, but they can't do it alone. So we wanted as an organization to become more intentional about how we create an ecosystem of support for them to really help with making that change come to life. So with that, we started doing work in the impact investing space as we saw more for-profit social enterprises join our fellowship program. Um, and we, we wanted to connect those early stage organizations with impact investors that were interested in supporting 
for profits at a, at a very early stage. And from there, we've then developed the Direct Impact Program, which is what I lead, and I can certainly uh, talk quite a bit about, which is intentionally developing the next generation of board leaders to support our social entrepreneurs. So we're very carefully thinking about every role that needs to exist uh, in working together to solve some of these big problems. And Kate, um, just packing, undoing all that, I feel like we could probably do about 10 episodes on what you just said there on all, all those interesting things. But for Echoing Green, how does Echoing Green define early stage entrepreneurship? Yes, we are one of the earlier stage. So we define that as idea stage to about two years of operations. So we will, if somebody has an incredible idea and a very compelling um, way of stating it and stating how they're going to solve it, we will fund at that idea stage. Uh, we also will fund at proof of concept or at a couple of years of operations, which really makes us very unique in the space. And I think part of what differentiates us is we're really focused on the leader first. We know that by investing in somebody who is proximate to the work, they've lived the challenges that they're trying to solve, they know the communities incredibly well, and they're so deeply embedded in the solutions that they're trying to create uh, that they're going to, no matter what, be successful. So while we, of course, look at the organization, we primarily will focus on the individual and what they bring to the table um, and then we'll look at, okay, is this an innovative solution to a long-standing problem? Is it a pressing problem? Um, what does the business model seem like? It does not need to be perfect because that's an area that we can really support in. Uh, but we are very much leader first. Um, and every year we get somewhere around 2,500 to 3,000 applications from social entrepreneurs all over the world. It's one of the most fun parts of my job is getting to read a lot of those applications alongside my colleagues, um, and we're ultimately selecting around 30 each year. Um, so we, we also work to support those social entrepreneurs that apply throughout every step of the process. Whether or not they ultimately get a fellowship, we want them to receive some sort of value from going through that, especially since they're coming in as early as an idea. So we have a lot of opportunity to help them think through and articulate what they're trying to do. Wow, that's so thrilling. So many uh, folks in the, I'd say, impact investing space broadly um, will often make comments like there just isn't deal flow, but it takes a firm like yours to go in and develop the deals so that they can invest in them. It, that's so exciting. We want to involve you more in Detroit. I would just want to raise my hand right now and say <laughs> Absolutely. We got <laughs> we want to involve you more here, but anyway, so back to your firm. So you, many, many have not figured out this early stage piece and I love what you said about leadership because we feel the same way. We one of the taglines we have is supporting people first with uh from inspiring places with productive ideas, but it's the people that make all this happen. We want to support the persons that are uh, leading the efforts and getting them all what they need. How did you guys come to land on what seems obvious, but there's a lot of distractions around the idea sometimes, and people forget about the leadership? You're absolutely right. 
I think it has just been so deeply ingrained from the start that it's hard to pinpoint exactly um, when when the organization decided that that was the goal. But um, I'll, I'll provide an example of one of our very first social entrepreneurs that is no longer with our organization, but I think provides um, our continued reasoning of why we focus on the person first. So um, Cheryl Dorsey was the founder of the Family Van, a mobile healthcare clinic in Boston, which actually will tie back a little bit to my story. I spent a few years volunteering on this uh, mobile healthcare clinic, and that was what first got me interested in Echoing Green because I learned that that organization and Cheryl had been funded and supported by Echoing Green, and she stayed with the organization for some time. And ultimately, uh, about eight years later, after that initial funding from Echoing Green, Cheryl actually took the reins as president of Echoing Green. And so we're continuously reminded, yeah, we're continuously reminded of no matter what our fellows do, uh, when they start their organization, and we do find that many of the organizations last uh, with their original founder, who's our fellow, or with somebody else that takes the reins, but they continue to go on to do incredible things. I think a great example is Van Jones, who was a fellow in the 90s, and many people will now see him on CNN. Um, so we have all of these stories of our fellows going on to continue to do incredible things. It's about 85% of them remain in leadership positions within the social sector. And so that reminds us that no matter what that idea is, what the person goes on to do is going to have impact that we could never even see at the point of application and at the point of that first idea. Um, but many, like Wendy Cott, um, who was a fellow in the early 90s, continues to stay with Teach for America and now Teach for All. Uh, so it's pretty incredible seeing uh, the varying paths. But that's really what brings us back to this investment in the individual first. Wow, that's incredibly exciting. And and so before we stay on this track of you guys uh, pouring into leadership, then we want to talk about healthy boards and governance in a minute. Let's dip sideways for a minute and tell people a little bit more about your journey, Kate, because you you referenced it briefly. But what's been your journey uh, about getting into the field? Was that your first experience with the mobile health care clinic, or had you been uh, out in this type of work before you joined? It Yeah, so it was one of my early experiences. Um, like many in the nonprofit and social sector, my path has been winding, uh, but has landed me to exactly where I feel like I'm supposed to be. So when I was volunteering on the family van, that was in college, and I was studying neuroscience because I had always been deeply interested in human behavior and why people do the things that they do, and also a huge science geek, so I thought I'd bring those two <laughs> things together, study neuroscience and go on to medical school. Um, That experience with the family van really opened my eyes. Social entrepreneurship was just a very early field. It was happening. Social entrepreneurship has been happening for decades and even centuries, but the naming was just starting to come about, and it was not something that I was familiar with at the time. But when I learned about Echoing Green and learned about the work that similar organizations were doing in the space. It got me really thinking about the type of systemic impact that I wanted to make. So I ended up graduating 
took my MCAT, decided to put med school applications on hold while I tried working in the nonprofit sector. And so wow. <laughs> started out at an organization focused in the education space and fell in love with with the space um, and could really see how I could make what I hoped and continue to hope will be transformative impact over time, um, or at least supporting, pushing the needle on a lot of these things that I really care about. And so ended up not applying in the end um, and <laughs> stayed in the space. And over the years, was working at quite a few youth-serving organizations, but uh, was trying to narrow down to exactly what I cared most about. And it kept coming back to leadership development and this tie-in with neuroscience of human behavior and understanding how people grow and change uh, and don't change, uh, but how you can influence that, as well as this social entrepreneurship field and the power of innovators that can disrupt, really positively disrupt on some of these big issues, as well as cross-sector collaboration. When I was at uh, my previous organization, that was something that I was working within a lot, is, was catalyzing the power of corporate professionals to engage in the social change ecosystem. And there came a point where I said, okay, I guess the best way for me to make an impact is to become a social entrepreneur. I think that many in the social sector go through this moment. And so I wrote a business plan, <laughs> submitted it to Echoing Green, because that's what you do when you have an idea, and made it pretty far in the process, but didn't ultimately get the fellowship. Um, but certainly reconnected me with the work of Echoing Green and soon after found a role working here uh, that was really tying in those three things that I cared most about. And so I had the opportunity to join the team just about four years ago and really rethink the way we were doing leadership development, especially for people in the ecosystem, um, not just our social entrepreneurs, but the other key players, primarily those in the private sector that have a critical role to play um, and so have been here ever since. Wow, and you've had an opportunity to see some of the social entrepreneurs around the world. I mean, we exchanged some pictures and been everywhere from R Rwanda to all of these places that I've seen some pictures. Can you give us a little tour of a, a sampling of the places you've got to learn about entrepreneurship? Sure. So I'll tell you first the why around those particular travels. So as part of as part of Direct Impact, the program that I run. We take cohorts of individuals from the private sector who are interested in deepening their engagement in the social sector, um, have a lot of interest and intent and want to do it in the right way and in a really intensive experiential leadership development driven way. So we put them through a few retreats and then also a site visit, which is where the pictures come in. So we'll take a small group of individuals from uh, from across the private sector and across um, mostly New York is where we've primarily been focused, but we're starting to expand across the U.S. and ultimately globally in working with corporate leaders. And we'll bring them to spend a few days shadowing our social entrepreneurs and really experiencing social entrepreneurship firsthand because ultimately, and at the end of the day, we're preparing these individuals to join the boards of our fellows organizations, the nonprofit boards, and one of the things that we know to be true is that board members often have not worked in the nonprofit sector. They don't have the deep, nuanced 
understanding of what it's like day in, day out, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the exposure piece of this program is where these site visits come in. Um, and so the social entrepreneurs we visit, they're not putting on a show. They're just doing their day-to-day work um, and engaging our group in what they're doing so that they can learn. So we visited African Entrepreneur Collective in Kigali, Rwanda, and that example shows one of the most exciting through lines that we've seen with the program in that African Entrepreneur Collective now has three direct impact graduates on their board, including their board chair. So the transformation in this full circle ecosystem that we've been able to see uh, from our fellows to our direct impact participants has been really incredible. We've also brought people to Accountability Lab in Nepal, to Contextos in El Salvador, to the Center for Civic Innovation in Atlanta, because we also focus on U.S. organizations, and uh, there's, there's certainly a ton of value in seeing the different sides of the cities right here in our own backyard. Um, and so at, at the end of the day, the site visits really offer this transformative moment where people are deeply out of their comfort zone. They're experiencing social impact and and the work that nonprofits do in a firsthand, this is the good, this is the challenging uh, way that really becomes an inflection point in their lives. So not only are they able to learn and become immersed in the work, but they're also able to really step back and think about the impact that they want to have as they join the boards of these organizations and more broadly think about as corporate sector leaders how they can influence the social sector for the good. You know, we have a saying around here that we say, let's take it from the paper to the eyeballs. Like, let's take it from looking at due diligence to go meeting them in person because there's just a different uh, interpretation that can't be expressed on paper as much as you can have talent in your writing and all of that. There's just different. And when you say you're immersing them in these experiences, when they get a chance to look into the eyeballs of those, you can see the heart of what they're trying to do and they're able to engage more human contact. So it, they have, they're able to get it easier and understand it. We always say social entrepreneurship is best under stood, you know, leaving the paper for a minute and looking at the eyeballs and then going back to the paper mm-hmm. just because, Absolutely. just because you need to, uh, you need to get out and get on the front line so that you can really understand all the nuances and all the intricacies that won't prevent an entrepreneur from going forward, but they require understanding if you're going to partner or fund those on the front line. Well, that's really exciting. So, and and just for our listeners, you know, many for-profit organizations also have boards, so we, d- we don't want to confuse any of that. So, uh, it's just mostly what Kate works with is the non-profit boards, the more formal, formalized boards. Would that be correct, Kate, or I don't want to misspeak? That, yes, that is. So our primary focus through Direct Impact is on non-profit boards, but what I've found to be true, especially with the social enterprises, our for-profits are all very social impact first. The lessons are very much the same for both non-profits and for-profits, especially for for-profits that are social impact first. 
um, in terms of how do you create an engaged board and a, a board that's really supportive and can engage in strategic conversations, the lessons that we really seek to uh, to showcase through the Direct Impact Program are very applicable to both nonprofits yeah. and nonprofits. I agree. There's just these they're all just a version of hybrids, you know. Someone said, you know, I wish we could just call them all impact organizations and it's like, yes, we can, but like for impact organizations, but they still end up needing to be separated out for IRS reasons and, right. and that, right? <laughs> it would, so it would, be, it would be nice. <laughs> I really want to spend some time talking about this program that you're in charge of and thank you so much for spending some time taking us along the journey of the history of how you got to overseeing this program called Direct Impact for Echoing Green. Because this is where your passion is at this moment, right? It is, absolutely. So let's talk all about this particular program. Yes. So when I started at Echoing Green, I was tasked at doing two things, figuring out a way to support our fellows through this ecosystem approach, which I talked a little bit about, and engaging corporate leaders. So as I stepped back to really think about how to do that in the best way, uh, one of the original hypotheses, well, what about training board members? There's a lot of corporate leaders that become nonprofit board members. Is that a space that we could work within? And so I started to look at the field and saw a few things. The first thing was that boards are not all that effective. Um, they have a hard time really engaging in strategic conversations. Uh, they're not very diverse. They have a hard time fundraising. So we knew that there was something not quite working within the board space. Um, and we also saw that there's very few training programs that exist. And almost every person who is on a nonprofit board has not gone through any sort of training. Um, and the training programs that we did come across uh, were really focused on the legal and fiduciary responsibilities of the organizations, which is absolutely important and a, and a very uh, needed part of preparing board members. But what we saw as the gap was the leadership training. And we know that Boards are just groups of individuals that are have a common mission to support and oversee an organization. So we said, what would it look like if we took Echoing Green's history of deep investment in leaders and applied that to individuals that were going to be joining boards of our organizations and really reimagining what it looks like to prepare to serve on a board and what it looks like to engage your board. Uh, because one of the, the things that we learned very early on is that the biggest piece that's missing in terms of making boards more effective outside of getting the right people in the room, which I can come back to, is the partnership and the relationship both amongst board members with themselves and then between the board members and the executive director or CEO. And if we could get that right and get everybody on the same page rowing in the same direction, uh, understanding what they needed to do to be successful and to really take their board to the next level, we knew we'd be very far along. So that was the board side. We also then saw that there was a lot of desire from corporate individuals to join boards, uh, yet only 16% of board members are under the age of 40. So we started to focus our efforts on mostly those in their 30s they're pretty established in their career, or at least starting to get there. 
um, and they're ready to give back. They've been volunteers, uh, but they want to think about what board service could look like and what it could look like now versus in the future, which many think of it as something that you do when you're much older and, and further along in your career. And so we, we began to take all these things uh, together and develop the Direct Impact Program, which um, is, again, at, at its core, a cohort-based program where we're bringing a diverse group of individuals from across the private sector together to go through a shared experience that's really built on four key areas. So the first is leadership development, unsurprisingly. Um, and we look at that from two angles, the individuals. So who am I as a leader? How do I show up? How am I perceived? As well as the group. Um, so how do I work in a group? How do I work in this very unique team environment that is a board? Um, so we help people along that path and really identifying where they are on their leadership journey um, and figuring out where they want to go, what they care about, what their purpose might be. The second piece is around strategic governance. So we do talk about the legal and fiduciary responsibilities, but we more so focus on the leadership elements of governance that allow boards to really engage in strategic conversations about the direction of an organization, whether that's at the early stage or whether that's at the mature um, or somewhere in between. The third area is around philanthropy and fundraising. So we help individuals figure out how to fundraise. We know that most board members have not received any sort of fundraising training, so that's definitely a gap that we want to fill through this program, as well as understanding nonprofit financials, how what's similar and what's different between for-profit corporations and nonprofits. And then finally, the fourth area is around social entrepreneurship and how change happens. So that ties back to the site visits and, and how we expose them to nonprofits, to the inner workings of these organizations and the communities that they're serving so that they can be thoughtful and intentional about the decisions they make with more knowledge around how social entrepreneurship really works. Now, so are these also applicant uh, identified? Uh, do they apply or do you run sets of classes just to curate these types of leaders? How do you go about that? They do apply. So it's a it's a less intensive application than our fellowship process, which takes about eight months start to finish. Um, but individuals do apply um, either directly. We also work with corporations who will identify their employees that might be a great fit for the program. Um, and then they still apply and, and tell us about themselves to make sure that they're ready. It is a very time-intensive commitment, uh, but a very meaningful one at the same time. So we really use the application to get to know people better and ensure that they're ready for this sort of leadership development program. Gotcha. So it, you guys wouldn't, for example, be your program, your specific direct impact program wouldn't be hired out, for example, for other types of work. Yes, and um, so our, our deep programming currently takes place in New York, at least the retreats, um, though in the next year or so we'll be launching shortened versions across the world um, because we don't want this to be something that is just for those that can come to New York for two weekends and then go on a site visit. Uh, we also, as we're starting to think about how we take the lessons that we're learning about 
great nonprofit board service and leadership development and bring that to a broader audience. We're actually starting to do shorter workshops, half-day, day-long, many times in partnership with other organizations so that we can at least get some of what um, is part of the full direct impact experience, which is uh, over the course of two to three months, it's about 70-plus hours of intensive leadership development, but these workshops offer us an opportunity to really partner with others to, to bring some of that into other spaces. Um, so we are we are uh, beginning to do that, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's very exciting. I think any time, uh, I think for those of us who are, I'll raise my hand in this category, those of us who are always looking for ways to uh, find out who's doing what well and help mm-hmm. these communities, you know, fill gaps, talent and skill gaps, it's, uh, it's just good to always know what everybody else is doing. <laughs> So as gaps arise, we can say, you know, Echoing Green has this program among their many talents. They've got this gal, Kate. (laughs) So, so Kate, what do you see, uh, what would you love as as you think about um, outcomes of this? You know, what do you dream about um, if you let yourself go there? (laughs) I love that question. As a big dreamer, (laughs) What I think most often about is the fact that I really do believe that everybody has a role to play in solving some of these big problems, Um, and everybody has a different and unique role to play. So when I think about direct impact and meeting leaders where they are and helping them get to where they want to be, I see that going much more broadly than our corporate leaders in New York and and around the East Coast that we've been working with, but uh, really bringing this notion of investing deeply in leaders, especially corporate leaders, um, who, and I'll actually say, I, I don't think that everybody should become a social entrepreneur. I don't think that everybody should start a nonprofit. I think it's very tempting when we see and experience problems in the world, and that feels like the right thing. But I do firmly believe that people can, regardless of their career choice, have the opportunity to really give back and bring the skill sets that they develop, um, the networks that they have to the issues that they care most about. And so while I'm primarily focused on the corporate sector with that, I really see it going so far and beyond. And at the same time, I really see us reimagining what board leadership looks like. Um, and ensuring that there is some sort of barrier to entry. We can't continue to have boards that are not effective. We can't continue to have 65% of board members who don't think their fellow board members are experienced, uh, 50% are unengaged. Uh, We have to do better because for a nonprofit organization and any, any organization or company, the board is really the constant. So while an executive director or CEO might come and go, the board is going to consistently be there um, and be the entity that's responsible for the success of that organization. Um, So those are really the two big pieces, but I would be remiss not to say the third, which is something that I spend a lot of my time on, is that we really need to think about board diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, We're at a place where only 20% of board members are people of color. Um, I mentioned the age. 
uh, gender is fairly balanced in terms of board members, but board leadership positions, uh, 90%, um, just about 90% of uh, board chairs are men. So we have to do better in making boards more diverse. We need to do better in ensuring that policies are inclusive, and we need to do better at making sure that they can show up and care, uh, provide the care that they need to for the mission that they're serving on. I think we're, what I, what I hope we're starting to move the needle on is having people think about what the value is of a board. For our early stage social entrepreneurs, many of them don't want to have a board because they just see, the, see it as an unhelpful group of people that they've got to manage and um, corral and try to get them to do stuff and then get frustrated when they don't do stuff. So we really need to build a partnership of people that, um, when I say the right people in the room, it means that there's people that have experienced the problems that the organization is trying to solve. We can't continue to have boards that don't have true community stakeholders on them because if they're not in decision-making uh, power places, that's a huge problem and we're going to continue to perpetuate a lot of the issues that we see today. Um, and at, at the same time, we also need to continue to build this partnership and this bridge between the board and the executive director that's built on trust. Uh, we need to rethink board meetings so that they're conducive to building relationships because there's finally stats in that say that when you spend social time with the board outside of the boardroom, board, board members actually do better and are more engaged, more involved, and the boards perform better, which is very exciting, but we need to intentionally build those relationships and get clear on what that value is of the board and how they can show up in the best interest of the organization uh, because that's going to benefit the organization, it's going to benefit the members, and it's going to ultimately support in the mission that the organization is, is working towards. Right. Well, that's great. And I guess one question I have is when – are you seeing, Kate, um, as – as more traditional venture capital comes in, you know, venture capital is used to maybe taking a board seat in a for-profit. We're noticing this super interesting convergence as they start to take seats on for-profit social enterprises when there isn't there isn't enough formality of a board. Are you noticing any um, conversations going on there in that space? I mean, I know your specialty is the nonprofit boards, but um, are you noticing any conversations coming up there that traditional venture capitalists are starting to put dollars in and asking for more formality in a board? We have actually been having conversations around this just in the past couple of weeks. So it is it is a very timely topic and something that we're seeing more about. We're definitely early stages in figuring out what our support could look like if that's um, a space that we want to grow into, which is definitely of interest because so many of the organizations that we support are for profits. Um, but I'm I'm glad you asked, and we're just at the start of looking at what that uh, support in terms of developing those boards, the for profit boards, especially with the increase of of VCs taking board seats could look like. Yes. All right. Thank you, Kate, for joining us on the Bonfires of Social Enterprise podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, Kate. 
for sharing all that you're doing and your amazing insights. It's time for our song. We have another Detroit artist provided to us by our friends at Assemble Sound. Please enjoy the artist, Estray, with his song, Starstruck. Until next time, keep those bonfires burning. Baby, I just spotted me some. She gotta be rock solid, man. You looking like a model or a movie star? And I wanna know who you are. Yeah, can I get your autograph? And don't forget to add your math. Oh. I can't believe I'm starstruck. And you Baby girl, what your name is? You gotta be somebody important or famous. Cause you just came through and shut the spot down. Got it looking like you the only one that's hot in town. <laughs> and I'm trying to come and kick it with you. You got me feeling like I'm trying to get a picture with you. You got it looking like you might need some security. To play the part, I'ma get you a little jewelry. But first, let me get your autograph though. And on the low, politely pass the math off. And tell me what you sipping, I'ma order some. Just tell her way to bring the bottle, maybe more than one. Yeah, and you can tell me what you into Before I work the middle, I'ma dig up in the mento And we ain't even get through the bottle She out here looking like America's top model You looking like a model or a movie star And I wanna know who you are Yeah, can I get your autograph And don't forget to add your man Tell you never do the airport She too pretty to be touched We do Clairport Pavarazzi follow just to get the right snap We go to Paris to shop and catch a flight back She acting like she packing for a tour The way she murdered the competition She deserve awards And if I cast the movie She's the lead role She know I got something bigger than my ego And we roll some way overseas though I'm like a sponsor I give her what she need though I break her off proper Get that girl an Oscar She holler like an opera I got her She loves Pasta, me, I do lobster. She white wine, I drink Duce Ovaca. And we ain't even get through the bottle. She out here looking like America's top model. You looking like a model or a movie star? And I wanna know who you are. Yeah, can I get your autograph? And don't forget to add your math. Struck. Struck. Struck.